You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Update on Tuesday the 1st of September. I'm John Heffernan from our Customer Treasury Unit and I am joined this week by AIB's Chief Economist Oliver Mangan to discuss the recent financial market developments. Good morning, Ollie. This week's market brief, which customers can find available on the FX Centre website, is entitled Once Bitten and Twice Shy. It alludes to the fact that there's still a distance between the EU and the UK when it comes to the trade negotiations. Has anything caught your eye in last week? What progress are we seeing in this sphere? Well, the, it's the lack of progress, really, John. Mr. Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, provided a very downbeat assessment at the conclusion of the August round of trade talks, saying too often in the past week it felt like we were going backwards rather than forwards. And he added that at this stage an agreement seems unlikely. And David Frost, who's the UK's chief negotiator, also acknowledged that little progress had been made in the August discussions and that an agreement would not be easy to achieve. I mean, the two sides remain as far apart as ever on some key issues in relation to regulatory alignment or the level playing field, particularly around state aid rules. And the UK wants to have the freedom to support its industries as it sees fit. But the EU is obviously concerned that the UK is a very large economy right beside it. So it doesn't want to be undercut by the UK in terms of providing state aid supports. Then you have disagreement about if there are just trade disputes, how will be resolved the dispute resolution mechanism? The UK is not keen to go down that route because it feels it curtails its freedoms. And obviously they haven't got to fisheries yet. Now, I think the fisheries issue can be resolved if the bigger issues around regulatory alignment and state aid rules can be progressed. The worry here is that, you know, it's generally acknowledged that the transition period ends at the conclusion of the year in December. And we really need a trade deal negotiated by the end of October to allow that time for that trade deal to be ratified by the end of the year and come into effect at the start of January. If we don't get a trade deal, the UK reverts to trading World Trade Organization rules. That involves tariffs, quotas, non-tariff barriers, and will be a very severe blow to the UK economy and indeed the Irish economy. So we're trying to avoid that. So the clock is ticking. Not much progress has been made. And the feeling is we really need to get a deal signed, sealed by the end of October so it can be ratified by the member states by the EU, the European Parliament, etc. So that's the concern. Now, against that backdrop, and that's been the story of the summer, Sterling has been appreciating, and we're scratching our heads wondering what is going on here. I mean, the euro has fallen back from you know about 92p a mid-year to, it, it rallied, you know, Sterling did well last week, the euro fell back to 89p, or close enough to it. Against the dollar, the pound has risen from 123 to 133. And all the time, you know, there's no progress on the trade negotiations. And, you know, when you look at the market, there's little sign of any hedging going on or options being taken out to protect against a fall in sterling later this year. And if anything, the market is on the UK currency. So we would view the current situation where sterling is back down at 89p, that there isn't much upside from sterling from here. Maybe the euro might fall back to, let's say, 87p if there is a trade deal. Because if we do get a trade deal, it's going to be a pretty minimal one. It's going to be largely confined to goods, about avoiding tariffs, about avoiding quotas, won't apply to services. It'll be a pale shadow of the current single market. So it would not be great news for the UK economy, but at least be better than the North Trade deal. So you can't really expect the currency to appreciate quite sharply in those circumstances. On the other hand, if we didn't get a trade deal and the UK moved to effectively a hard Brexit next January and trading under WTO rules with tariffs and 
quotas, etc. Sterling could fall quite sharply in those sort of circumstances. And I'm a bit concerned. I mean, the market was very, very relaxed going into the referendum back in 2016. It says, oh, the UK will vote to stay in. It didn't. And Sterling collapsed. And we've seen, even this year, Sterling can fall very, very sharply in a very short period of time. You know, when the market turbulence was at its worst in March, Sterling fell by over 10%. So from current levels, right, where we're down near 89p, I would say the upside for Sterling is limited, but the downside is we could be a parity if we don't get a trade deal by the end of the year. So the downside is much greater. So that's what really puzzles me, and that's why... Maybe the markets things they think back to last October. I mean, Stern was trading around ninety two, ninety three p, and there was concerns we wouldn't get a withdrawal agreement. But it came together in October pretty quickly, and I think the markets are expecting the same thing again. So that's why I say once bitten, twice shy. But if we go back to four years ago, the markets got it wrong. You know, they thought the UK would vote to remain within the EU. It didn't, and Sterling reacted very, very badly. So as I say. The risks here are very much asymmetric. There's not much upside for Sterling. There's a lot of downside if the trade talks go wrong. And obviously, Ollie, do you think there's an element that no trade deal is going to be seen equally as bad for the EU by the markets, and hence the euro isn't getting as much support as you might expect as the time No, no, no. The impact will be far greater on the UK economy. It'll obviously hit the Irish economy quite hard as well. But less than 10% of EU exports go to the UK. So it's a key market, but it's not a huge market for it. On the other hand, 45% of UK exports go to the EU. So it'll be much more badly impacted. Ireland is rather unique within the EU. We know that here... 40% of our indigenous exports go to the UK. So certainly the Irish economy is by far and away the most exposed EU economy to a no-trade deal. But for the EU as a whole, the impact would not be as great on its economy as on the UK economy. The UK is far more reliant on the EU for exports than the EU is on the UK. So it's important to bear that in mind. So, I mean, the feeling is, I mean, the UK or the EU won't want to add another economic shock on top of what we suffered this year as a result of COVID. I mean, the expectation is the UK economy could contract by 10% in 2020. Do you really want to have a second shock on top of that to start of January? So markets think that the size will come together in October and we'll get a deal. And that, that's our benchmark view. But what I'm saying is, if that's the way it pans out, the upside for the currency is limited. On the other hand, if we don't get a deal, well, then a large drop in sterling is in store. And markets and traders and imported exporters are not protecting themselves from that. And for those of our customers listening who are severely impacted by what goes on in sterling moves, do you think that period then from mid-October to the end of the year could become quite volatile for sterling? I would would think it's October really. You know, it was October last year. If there isn't real progress being made in October, it's time to get worried. Because as I say, you just can't ratify, get a deal done Christmas week. You won't have time to ratify it. Now, you might be able to extend the transition period. It gets very, very messy. But I think, as last year, October was the key month in the negotiations for a withdrawal agreement. It's likely to be the same again this year. So that's something for our listeners to pay attention to. October yeah. could be a key month for them in terms of sterling levels. Yeah. Just moving on to other news. The Fed last week made a pretty serious announcement around their policy in relation to interest rates. Can you take our listeners through what that was and the impact it has, particularly in terms of, say, the dollar value versus sterling and the euro? Yeah. In a nutshell, the Fed has a dual mandate, which is trying to maximise employment but keep inflation low at 2%. 
And what it's done is it's recalibrated its policy. It's much more focused now on maximising employment, getting the unemployment rate down, and less concerned about inflation. Technically, the way that has manifested itself is that the Fed's target up to now has been to get inflation to a 2% rate and keep it there. Now it's looking at an average 2% inflation rate over time. It won't be concerned if inflation goes above 2%, if it follows a period when inflation was below 2%. And it emphasised Chairman Powell the beneficial impacts that low unemployment is having on the U.S. economy, but also in a, in a broader sense. He says, our revised statement reflects an appreciation of the benefits of a strong labour market, particularly for many in the low to moderate income communities. And we can also sustain a robust jobs market without generating an increase in inflation. He referenced in particular the experience of the last 10 years where the unemployment rate fell to 50-year lows of 3.5%, and yet inflation didn't pick up towards 2%. And he believes that's going to happen in this cycle as well. So what it really means is that interest rates in the US, which are at zero, will be maintained there for a much longer period of time. Now, that is obviously negative for the dollar. The impact on the currency is offset somewhat because long-term interest rates, bond yields, the one thing they hate is inflation. So if the Fed's tolerance or tolerating higher levels of inflation led to some increase in long-term yields, bond yields in the States. That would have helped the currency. Overall, the dollar was a touch weaker on the back of this. It does mean that it'll be a long time before we get US rate increases, which obviously is negative for the dollar. Now, now, the dollar has lost some ground over the summer, but it's, it's coming from very, very high levels. And the ground it's lost is it's against the major currencies like the Europe, the yen, the Aussie dollar, sterling, etc. It's actually been gaining ground against the emerging market currencies this year. So overall, it still remains at high levels. For us, obviously, dollar-euro is the key exchange rate, and 120 is proving a massive support for the dollar. The euro is finding it very hard to get beyond that level. It's up around 118, 119. Since we moved to negative interest rates in the eurozone in 2014, the euro has only risen above 120 on one occasion. It got to 125. It didn't last. So, you know, negative rates in the eurozone are a handicap or a headwind for the euro. The market is very, very short the dollar at the present time. So I think that 120 level will hold maybe this year. Next year, you could see it give way. Maybe the euro rise towards 125 if we had progress made in terms of a vaccine for COVID-19 or improved treatments, also maybe a change of president in the US, and also the, the change in the Fed policy. A policy of low rates and a tolerance for higher inflation is not a great policy for a currency, but it might be next year before we see the full effects of that. And with rates remaining negative in the Eurozone, you know, the upside for the Euro is probably limited. So that 120 level might hold in the near term. Obviously, the election adds uncertainty. But it may, be, it may be next year before we see the euro rise above that. But then, you know, 125 would be a major hurdle for it to get to as well. But it is an important change. And, you know, the mantra this year is lower for longer for interest rates. And the Fed now is putting a policy in place that is fit for that purpose in terms of it's going to tolerate a rise in inflation. It's going to focus on the unemployment rate getting down. And it does think that lower employment will not generate persistently higher inflation that's been the experience of the last decade so it's quite a significant policy shift more emphasis on the labor market less emphasis on inflation and that segues us nicely into the week ahead ollie we're looking yeah. at u.s unemployment rate numbers expected to fall below 10 percent this week we're looking at the employment report for august being released yeah um, can you take us through what you're expecting to see in those numbers and yeah. what impact they may have now, the, the forecast is, as you say, for uh, now, let's put it in context. Job growth has recovered in recent months in the US, but even in July, right, there were still 12 million 
lower number of jobs than before the, the COVID crisis struck back in February. So payrolls are 12 million below their February peak. So we get another increase around one and a half million, I think is forecast for August. It still leaves you well below where we were last February. And that unemployment rate is expected to come down from 10.2 to 9.8%. Again, last February, the unemployment rate is at 3.5, so it's still got a long way to fall. So that shows you that the US economy, certainly on the labour market side, has a long way to go to recover the ground lost during the lockdown and the COVID crisis. The concern is, and we're seeing it here as well, we get labour market figures for Ireland, and our COVID-adjusted unemployment rate got to 29% in April. It came down sharply. It's 16.7% in July. The forecast is around 14.5% for August. The concern in the US and the concern in Ireland is that, okay, there's been good data published over the summer, but there are signs that the recovery is losing momentum. We've seen the re-emergence of the virus everywhere, not just in Ireland, in the UK, in mainland Europe, in the US. We're seeing that denting the recovery in consumer confidence and a concern that we have seen a good pickup in spending, but will it be sustained? It may not be. And we still have a lot of contained measures, social distancing in place, which are impacting the recovery and activity. So, you know, the payroll figure should be good. But when we look at the weekly jobless claims we're getting, and it's a bit like the weekly COVID-adjusted unemployment rate here, there are signs that that recovery is losing momentum. So there will be a lot of focus, as you say, on the employment report on Friday. We also have retail sales in the Eurozone for July. Again, the Irish figures are on Friday, a very strong bounce. But the question is, will that be sustained? Is it just a bounce back that won't be from low levels that won't be maintained over the balance of the year? So they are the key figures coming out this week. I say payrolls are always important. But remember the big picture. We're coming into the August payrolls still 12 million below or 12 million fewer jobs than we had in February. So this is a deep hole and it's going to take quite some time to climb out of it. OK, Ollie, thank you very much for the update. And a big thank you to our customers, colleagues and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with the latest markets developments, please subscribe to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. And for any customers impacted by the pandemic, you can find details of AIB support packages at aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.